So welcome to another episode of Tolkien with Friends. Today, we're excited to have our friend and, you know, resident Tolkien expert, New Better Do Better, join us to talk about chapters Treebeard, The White Rider, and The Passage of the Marshes. So, New Better, I know you always are keeping very busy, so can you just let everyone know where to find you and what you've been up to? Hey, how you doing, guys? What's going on? New Better Do Better here. Um, really excited to be on the show. Uh, my good friend Andy and uh, newly new friend, hopefully, uh, Anna. Um, literally, you can find me on TikTok always at New Better Do Better. Um, you guys know how to spell it. If you don't, it's uh, K N E W D O B E T T A D O B E T T A. Awesome. Guys, uh, you can also find me at YouTube, the same thing, New Better Do Better. Also, literally, all my things are New Better Do Better. Um, there might be like a three after it because somebody already done got the name or something like sure. that. But you look up New Better Do Better, you'll find me. You'll see my logo on there. So, Yeah, and you know, honestly, if I'll be shocked if any of our listeners aren't already following you. Uh, but listeners, if you're not, that is a huge mistake that you need to correct immediately. Uh, <laughs> a, nodding in so much funny. agreement. <laughs> so we you know um, we're big fans over here. That's for sure. Thank you. Um, as of late, I've been uh, extremely busy. Um, as you guys know, I just got back from London a couple weeks ago. Um, literally, we we're able to see twenty minutes of footage and meet the showrunners and to go on an excursion to Tolkien's. Uh, you know his his workplace, uh, where he went to school, where he wrote the books, uh, where he got his first um, work published. It was uh, really a humbling and surreal experience. Um, very excited. Um, I've been doing other podcasts and doing my own podcast, as you know. Um, also, uh, been, you know, just hosting other things um, and also dealing with real life as well. It's very important. Of course. Um, I took a little break from TikTok the last week or so, probably last couple of weeks. Uh, just to reset, get my energy back where it needs to be. And mm -hmm. um, I'll be back on there like tomorrow or something like that. But um, yeah, just uh, I got more stuff coming up. I'm going to be in a, a, a GCX event in Florida where we're going to be doing the Lord of the Rings panel. Uh, oh, that's amazing. Creators, Glam, Shatter Skull, um, and a couple others, uh, which will remain uh, you know, a secret until we, we do it. Please forgive the noise. I'm in the wilderness right now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, my son had a birthday party I had to bring him to, so I have to do this on the fly, but, uh, Andy was very gracious allowing me to do that. So I didn't want to miss it. And, um, yeah, I'll just be keeping myself busy and, um, oh, we just did trivia. We just did Lord of the Rings trivia, which was awesome. Was um, we're going to cool. be doing another one very soon. So that's just what I've been doing lately, guys. Yeah. yeah, it's, you know, always something fun going on, you know, from the trivia showdowns to Voices of Arda. You know, we had Callie come in and introduce the podcast when I think at, right after your first episode. So uh, people should know about that. They should be listening in on that, too. And it's been really, really great episodes. As are following Callie, Callie Cosplay, make sure you follow her. She's awesome. She is literally like the angel on my shoulder. She is the backbone of everything. She just came in. She was like. I'm down to do everything. And she literally is does the logistics of everything. She should be like a commander somewhere in an armed forces because she's just <laughs> so on point with everything. Um, so shout out to Callie. If you're not following her, please follow her. She's yeah, awesome. We love her. And we'll make sure that 
links to everybody's stuff is in the description of the podcast so that you can easily find everybody um, and definitely join, you know, the discord that Callie is the queen of. And, you know, we have a section for the pod. Our, both of our podcasts have sections in there for, you know, you can kind of get the first notice about when new episodes come out and all of that. And we just have a really great conversations and community going on in there. It's been really fun. Um, so if you want to just like hang out, that's definitely where you can find us is in the discord. Um, so we'll remind you of that link as well, but I know we've mentioned it before. So get on in there is, is the message for that. <laughs> <laughs> so before we jump into the main contents of today's episode, um, I want to start with this quote from the passage of the marshes talking about Frodo's struggle with the burden of the ring. And then I want to talk to you guys about um, our favorite bad guy, Sauron. So my guy, <laughs> our, our main man. <laughs> so, OK, so here is the quote. And this is from Frodo's perspective, um, talking about his, his him having um more and more struggle with carrying the weight of the ring. So it says the I capitalized that horrible growing sense of a hostile will that strove with great power to pierce all shadows of cloud and earth and flesh and to see you, to pin you under its deadly gaze, naked, immovable. So now evidenced by this quote, this is just kind of setting the scene, but Sauron is mostly a disembodied evil in Lord of the Rings. You know, in the movie, you just see him as a big fiery eye. I mean, in the prologue of Fellowship, you you see a figure, an actual person, um, you know, in the battle. But for the most part, he's this disembodied. He's way off, far away, not necessarily something that you face um, in person. And he's you know, often referred to even more vaguely in the books. And, you know, it's surely a a chilling description, but it's interesting to think about how most people's experience with Sauron is this disembodied evil force, not really like a fleshed out character, a person that you could even maybe relate to or understand the motivations of, per se. However, that is exactly what will have to happen in the new rings of power show coming out in September. And, you know, if not right away, he's going to be introduced at some point and he's going to, he should play a major part in the events and, you know, his interactions with people. So with Nubeta's knowledge of the full legendarium and Anna's love for the spookier side of things, uh, I thought that, and, you know, all of us enjoying a good bad guy, if, you will. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what you would hope to see from Sauron as a character on Rings of Power. Like, who should he be? Like, what would you expect Sauron to act like, to be like? How would you expect him to interact with people? And what ultimately makes a bad guy you love to hate? So when you read The Lord of the Rings, the three books, Mm -hmm. you get a sense of... uh, just like you said, uh, foreboding presence more so, uh, you know, a lot of fear. And this is kind of what makes Sauron so potent in the ring because you don't deal with him at all. But mm-hmm. there's just a fear of him and so much fear that you're like, you. it's like you know that, oh, this guy must be a goon. He must be extremely powerful. His will, his just his will, they were scared of to say his name. So that in itself is enough to sustain him through the books because you don't deal with him. The main antagonist throughout the Lord of the Rings is actually the Witch King. You deal with him. He's the physical presence that you have to deal with. True. So 
knowing the entire legendarium, rightfully so, Sauron is an absolute monster. So not only is he the strongest in Middle Earth, you learn this when you read the Silmarillion, you know, uh, the, the Calabeth, which is in the back of the Silmarillion of the um, Third Age and the Rings of Power in the back of the Silmarillion, the last chapter in that book. You learn so much more about Sauron's powers, capabilities, um, and and his deceptiveness. Now, they talk about that shortly in certain chapters of Shadow of the Past. Mm -hmm. They also talk about it in the Council of Elrond. And you get a, a little sense like he, he deceived them. But it's, it's so it's a mixture of strength and then deception. Sauron, unlike Morgoth, who was a very straightforward, I'm big bad villain, just straightforward using all my force and all my creatures and everything to, to get what I want. When Sauron can't win, he will trick you and win. And that in itself is one of the most scariest parts about Sauron uh, that, that makes him extremely, extremely frightening. Um, so he, he, when he was under Morgoth's, you know, control or his, his sway and he was second in command, he very much was using his force and his abilities. And then when he lost, he kind of had, okay, let me gather up and do something else. Let me do this. And he, he, he approaches things very differently and very, he's methodical and he thinks things out and he does, his, his patience is, is just as scary as his power. Because you know how strong he is. He's he's the strongest Maiar on the planet by far at the in the third age. Even his spirit, he's not even at full power. And the five wizards are scared of him. They right. you know what I mean? Gandalf in itself is scared to go against the Witch King. And this isn't from the book. I mean the movie. This is from the book. Right. You read it, he's not sure he can handle the Witch King, who is second in command to Sauron. So Sauron is completely on another level. So um I think. It's a very much John Wick-esque type thing where they're scared of John Wick immediately, even though he's the good guy. You know, it's just like, wow, this guy is, must be a badass. Yeah. So you don't get to see him do much, but you know from the onset, he has got to be a, a, a problem. And then when you learn all the things he's done, which we'll go over, I'm sure, you understand why he's such a problem, strength-wise and deception-wise and all the different things he, he's able to do. So it's very important to, to, to read past the, uh, the Return of the King, the Two Towers Fellowship, and to get that backstory. Then you'll be like, wow, they kind of really got away by the skin of their teeth. Yeah, <laughs> like, because it's interesting ooh. to think about like, okay, so like in the Silmarillion, we know Sauron is, uh, you know, uh, I can't remember who it actually he says it to, but he promises to reunite Elianel and uh, Gorlim, Gorlim the Unhappy and, and his wife Elianel. So he mm -hmm. completely, Gorlim so he, is, you know, one tricks, of the 12 companions of yeah. Battle here, who, uh, you know, is, are in the Dorthonian, they're outlaws. And all of their people have been killed or captured or, and Gorlim doesn't know what happened to his wife. He, they think she either was captured or killed or she ran away. He has no idea. So, he goes and he keeps going back to the house to look for her, their old house. Sauron gets wind of this and he's like, oh, he knows she's dead, but Gorlim doesn't know this. So he creates a wraith of her and Gorlim sees the wraith and is ensnared immediately like, and goes into the house like a dummy 
and gets captured by Sauron. And Stone Cold. Sauron doesn't even just capture him and just say, oh, I got you now, and just, you know, kills him. He's trying to get information. So he has his goons ask him, you know, where are the 12 companions? If you tell us where, I'll re reunite you with Alienel, his biggest hope. Sauron knows how to use this to his advantage. Finally, he, he breaks down and he tells where the 12 companions, where, you know, Barry here and his companions are. He tells them, Sauron literally, then this is why they call him Gorthau the Cruel. He laughs in his face and says, Elianel is dead. <laughs> She's been dead, but I'm not, I'm, I'm a man of my word. I'm going to, I'm going to reunite you with her. And he kills him and reunites them in death. It's so the that's worst. the type of person Sauron is. He's cruel, methodical, and very well thought out because prior to that, Morgoth's forces have had no luck for, I think, four years. They were looking mm -hmm. for Barry here. Yeah. And, and they had no luck. But when he sent Sauron, it got done immediately. So messed so. up. It's so bad. <laughs> He's ruthless. And so, yeah. and it's interesting to think about. So maybe at least for our listeners and maybe also Anna's sake, let's talk about, um, so the events of what sh should happen in Rings of Power, right? Is that they're... Sauron as Anatar tries to get in with the elves, right? And they don't really know why. I don't think they really understand why they think he's sus, but, you know, Galadriel and um, Gilgalad are they're like, mm, no thanks. Whatever's happening here, no thank you. And so then he goes to Celebrimbor, who is, you know, the greatest smith of his age. Um, and it's like, you know what? I mean, I don't know how they're going to see. I think that this is the point where it's going to get really interesting for how they personify this character who's able to get in with Celebrimbor, you know, who isn't a bad guy. You know, it's not like he's going to come in all oozing of evil and like sliminess. You know, he's not going to be like a Grimma character where it's just like, ew, you know, he's going to have to be, like really smooth and smart and clever and someone that you would want to be friends with. You know what I mean? And so he gets in that way. They make all these rings. They're both kind of learning from each other. And that's how he's able to later go and make the one ring. Right. Which. Yeah. Um, chaos. An important thing to remember about that whole situation that's going to be happening in the rings of power. Sauron knows things. Mm -hmm. that everybody else doesn't know. So if you're you're looking at the Rings of Power from a fresh perspective, you'll think, oh, he just tricked them and um, it was, you know, he just got them and there was nothing behind it. There's a reason Celebrimbor specifically fell. Mm -hmm. So Celebrim Celebrimbor is the grandson of Feanor. Feanor and his son Corfin were students of Aule. Sauron was the greatest student of Aule. The dwarves of Khazad-dûm were made by Aule and worship Aule. The Noldor worship Aule as well. They were students of Aule. So Celebrimbor being the greatest smith of that age and the grandson of the greatest smith of all time has a predisposition to literally wanting to make things, wanting to create. It's already in him. His father uh, inherited that same skill from his father, who is Feanor. So it's on that line. It's They're predisposed to doing it. Sauron knows this. Mm -hmm. Gilgalad and Galadriel and um, Círdan and Elrond mm -hmm. dealt with Sauron in a different way. 
where they had to deal with failing over and over again, dealing with Gorthauer, dealing with the where Keller Brimble was more removed. He he was he was more removed from those things at that time. Where Gilgalad is dealing with deceit from the curse. Um, he, you know, literally he didn't make it in time to the Havens. He's dealing with the backlash of the curse of the Noldor, also the curse of the um the oath. So he knows deceit when he sees it. So he doesn't trust anything, being that he couldn't even save Elrond and Elros. He he knows and he learned from Círdan all the deceptions of the past. He's now the king. He knows these things. As so far would as you Elrond, say that, so would you say that even though they didn't necessarily know it was Sauron, that just because of their history with with you the know, war, with the whole thing with Morgoth and all the betrayals, mm -hmm. they were more like, I'm not trusting anything. Right. Whereas Keller Brimbor was more removed. He was in Nargothrond and left Nargothrond and, and didn't really deal with the wars after that. Mm. So he he was just on some, I want to start a new kingdom and build shit type stuff. Whereas yeah. Gilgalad and the rest Galadrinum were dealing with the direct effects from all these curses and betrayals and every, the, they have to deal with that and the out the backlash from it and the effects of it. So they were far less trusting than Keller Brimbor. So Sauron used that to his advantage. So he wanted to get the strongest, but once he saw, hey, they're not messing with me. Okay, okay let me move. I still want to mess with the Noldor. Oh, Celebrimbor, let me, let me, let me trick him. He's gonna already, he's gonna want to make things. I have this unbelievable knowledge. I'm a student of literally who he worships and who he he's a student of as well. Let you know what I mean? He's yeah, he is one of the greatest of that. And didn't Saruman also like study under Aule. Aule. I'm just like, dang, like Simon's just like, who's in Aule's crew? You know, like, and I'm gonna try to mess with these guys. Um and, and you know, and then you see that again with Sauron, obviously later in the second age when he kind of gives up the elves as a bad job, you know, goes back to Mordor to, and then decides to start messing with men and like the Numenorians. Um, and I just think it's so funny how, like, you know, is it our Farazan? Is it that one? The king that... Oh, Farazan, yeah. Uh, yeah, that captures, uh, you know, he comes to fight Sauron, and Sauron's like, oh, no, you got me. You win. <laughs> you know, and then he, like, takes him back as a prisoner, but then somehow, it, it, I think that'll be really interesting for them to play out, like, how he goes from prisoner to counselor, for mm -hmm. this king so i'm just like thinking about like when you're casting someone to be sauron in this age he's he's just so slippery you know he's slippery when he can't when he, he he would he would rather rule by force it says this in the book he would rather rule by force and fear but mm -hmm. when that doesn't work he'll he'll sweeten his tongue and and get and and he knows so much that he's he knows so much that there's remember so Balerion was completely destroyed. Right. So as of that, there's three people that know everything. Sauron, Galadriel, and Círdan. Mm -hmm. Even Gilgalad is young. Gilgalad is much younger than uh, Círdan and Galadriel. A lot of people may not realize that. Gilgalad is, was a kid when he became the king. Mm -hmm. and he was, he's very young in the, in, the, in the elf years. So Sauron is older than all of them. Sauron was made when the, the rest of the Ainur were made. So he knows way more than everyone. 
and the, the Valar don't interject themselves. They're tired of get the world being destroyed. They're just, they leave men and their elves up to their own devices. They're like, you know what? Enough is enough. Yeah. They, they only interject by sending the um, Istari over, the wizards, to try to help. But other than that, they're not doing it anymore. Every time they interject themselves, the world get destroyed. So Sauron has a big, huge advantage. So when he says, hey, this is how you should make this, and he knows this, this is why he disguised himself as one of the Vanyar elves is because he has all this knowledge. Where'd you get this knowledge? Well, I'm from, you know, I'm from Valinor. I'm from, you know, where the two trees and okay, you definitely have this knowledge. Let me, let me follow, let me follow what you're saying. Yeah. Even off Arizona, he knows it's Sauron, but he knows, well, Sauron is this being that has all this knowledge, regardless of whether he's bad or good, he knows all this shit. And since I, I captured him, let me listen to him. And everything he says, it he's not dumb. He doesn't say stuff so it backfires on you immediately. Right. He says stuff that actually gets you what you want initially. So you're you're gonna follow him. You're like, oh, this gives me great wealth. This is this work, this gives me great power. He's giving me good information. And then it's too late when it backfires on you for you to get out of it. Right. And ultimately it backfires on Sauron too, in a lot of ways, you know, with like he i mean not for too long obviously he's playing the long game so it doesn't matter but you know like he loses like his physical form a bunch of times and um you know it's not like it's just interesting because it's like obviously by creating the ring and you know giving himself a way to control all these people it's also the reason that they're ultimately in the third age able to defeat him defeat him for real real this time because he put so much of himself into that ring so, I mean, definitely feels like a commentary on, like, how, yeah. like, evil yeah. and stuff works, but. Many but, people, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's weird with Sauron sometimes, too, because um, he literally wanted to, he's, he's, he's wants to control the world and, and give it order. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which is not, it's, which is an admirable thing. Literally, his name means the admirable. That's what Myron, his original name means, means the admirable. And it's just, you can't, when you have a free society, nothing's going to be in order because everybody's going to be doing whatever they want to do. That's mm-hmm. how Melkor captures him, how he brings him to his side. If we control everything, then everything could be how you want it and it'll be perfect order. Yeah, and you, and you see Melkor's, that echoed with uh, Saruman in... Lord yeah. of the Rings when he's trying to be like Gandalf like if we controlled everything then yep. we can make everything better uh, you exactly. know exactly yep so, so you, you see that you see the the philosophy it starts off in from a good place mm-hmm. but once you get that power and that Melkor instill that evil do it by any means type of thing and then once Sauron seen how that worked and I, I man, he just fully subscribed to it, and yeah. he can no, he can't even, can't even go back. He can't even go back from it. He literally just is. He's like, by any means necessary, I'm going to control this, and he's willing to do whatever. And he became cruel and revengeful, spiteful, hateful, and he is a terror. That's fascinating, Anna. So, given all that information, how, if you were to put together like. I don't know, a character write-up, knowing all the things that you know about the bad guys that you love, how would you make Sauron? Like, what would you your notes be to whoever they cast? Yeah, I 
like my villains to just be pure chaos. Like it's just, I mean, that's, that's the best word that I, I can use. If you think of like Ramsey Bolton in Game of Thrones uh, or Russell Edgington in True Blood. Um, I just like people who are like off their rails, chaos, and they're doing anything to get what they want. Mm-hmm. Um, so this actor is going to need to be very cunning. Uh, definitely be able to use their words in a way that just makes you follow them. Uh, probably very attractive. That will help um, them get to that like slimy, manipulative, uh, cult leader type of a vibe. Uh, that's what that's what they need to hone in on 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 this villain yeah and they're not really really telling us anything like they've started to tell us that you know like we know who galadriel is and we know like Mm -hmm. some of these new characters who they are but they i feel like they're gonna try to keep us guessing about sauron for a really long time at least that's the vibe i'm getting right it does happen so because i i have the vibe that they're even gonna try to fool like new beta like who knows (laughs) everything that's supposed to happen (laughs) But obviously, I don't know anything. I just think that they're, if based on what, you know, like what you saw uh, and meeting the showrunners and everything, like, I just think that they seem to really know their stuff is what I'm hearing. And so my guess is that they will try to do their best to make it compelling television for anybody that's watching, including like the diehards. But yeah, um, they literally know what they're talking about. They are fully, they are fully in depth in the book, like not some general knowledge type stuff. They know what they're talking about in everything that they are doing. There's a reason for, and this is why I'm like, okay, I trust what they're doing. Questions mm-hmm. I, I had, they were able to answer far deeper than I ever even hoped for. I'm looking at them like, oh, they're movie guys or they're show guys, like corporate guys. They're going to know the basics of it, but they're not going to be like fully. And I could not have been more wrong. And that really impressed me. And I was like, okay. So certain questions I asked, I got excellent answers to why anything that I thought was going to be off or I didn't agree with excellent answers as to why. And I was just, stunned and i'm like okay this show is in good hands this i understand why they're doing this i agree i completely see how you thought of everything and i was just just impressed all around now that is going to make for good television to some people to some people they're going to be like oh this isn't right and this is yeah well you can't you can't get everything right they don't even have the it's not possible but um being that they're following this story in this book uh this part of the books, some things are going to have to be different. And right. just because of the vagueness of the entire second age. Yeah. I mean, there's going to be characters you don't know. Yeah, for sure. And I, I fully, I think that that's great. I think that that's really encouraging that they seem to know so much about, you know, the story that they're dealing with. And honestly, I think a lot of the fans are mostly unfamiliar with this part of the story. So um, I think that that's, really great that they're so familiar with it and that you know I'm excited to see what they do with it because there's a lot of ways that this could go um and I think that it's 
you know, no matter what they do, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be fun for us to talk about. It's, you know, um, disagree with, agree with, you know, it, it, I think that anytime you get an adaptation, including Peter Jackson's, which is why we have this whole podcast, right. Is that like, they'll do things differently, but it sparks more conversation. It makes you think about the characters differently and maybe gives you a new insight that you hadn't considered before. So I'm excited. I think that whether or not I agree with everything that they do, I think it's going to be um, a fun time for everybody. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I'm here saying I may not agree with everything that they do. I'm not sure. I didn't get to see the whole thing or anything right. like that. But we'll see. Hopefully, we, you know, I, I agree with most of the choices or whatever the case may have you. From what I've seen so far in her so far, I'm on board. And the, the rest remains to be seen in September. But I'm very excited. What I saw was very good. It made a lot of sense. It all made sense to me. So hopefully you guys cool. trust my word on things. If you don't, then that's on you. It is what it is. I understand. Who am I? You know, I'm just a regular person like you guys. Yeah, but you're like more than a regular person. <laughs> Your brain is works so differently than everybody. So, and I think it's amazing. So I trust you. I'm excited. I think it was great feedback to I'm so glad that you got to go like what an amazing experience the best um, experience man I've ever had man it's awesome so it's like the first time where it's like you know you know these sneak peeks happen with other shows and I'm like I don't know who that was that went I don't know but I'm like several you know you and Emily and people that I know you know went on this trip and you know we're saying a lot of the same things a lot of excitement so I feel excited too Andy probably doesn't notice because I don't tell her all the time, but she is literally like my favorite person on TikTok. Like, no, I'm being serious. Like, I'm like, that's my buddy. She smacked. Like, <laughs> like I tell people that all the time. Like, Andy's my homie. Like, you don't understand. Like, she's so fierce. Like, if she sees anybody say anything out of out of pocket, like she'll jump in there. Like, I think that is so admirable. You one of the first people that I connected with. I adore you. I really do. I think you're awesome. Uh, your communication skills are awesome. Um, you don't take a backseat to anybody. I really, uh, being a fellow New Yorker, I really respect that. Um, you know what I'm saying? It's a certain yeah. way we, we don't allow, we say we don't allow people to just be talking crazy. Like, that's not a thing. Like, I'm very courteous, but at the same time, like, don't be talking crazy to me, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know I I'm think saying? you be give respect. people more benefit of the doubt than I do a lot of the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and, and that I do, and I, but I, I admire that you don't. I'm, I'm trying to be political sometimes, just because of, I feel like I've, yeah. You know, sometimes you got to be a little bit of a voice when you have such a following. Is like, you can't be, you know, outlandish sometimes. Even though I'll be wanting to be, I want to tell people how it really is. But mm -hmm. I still speak for, up for myself. But I, you just fully give them a hundred percent. Like, listen, that's not right. Uh, it's like they I just think that after this many months, especially about like the explosion that happened in February, they've all yeah. given themselves away. Like if you are if you, the certain word choices that you make, like the things that you're like how you say it. And I'll give you like two comments or whatever before I'm like, uh, uh is it over? Yeah, you're wrong. Try to get the benefit of the doubt. But oh, you said woke twice. You out of here. It, seriously. I'm like, OK, like I'm glad that whatever outlet spoon fed you some buzzwords and you don't know what you're talking about, but you know, <laughs> you can't come in here and tell me that I haven't read the books, you know, like, I'm just like, 
no you're done i'm done like we're you know i'm gonna tell you how it is so so how you liking the two towers so far anna um i definitely think there's way more information in the two towers than i ever expected uh it's you know i'm I'm gonna be i'm gonna be frank it's my least favorite of the movies so it's my one that i've watched the least so i am learning a lot we've only done one episode uh, but andy talks about lord of the rings all the time so i i'm learning a lot more about the whole entire series well i think that and you know what's funny is that i feel like two towers from what we've seen you know like in my memory and also just like doing this nitty-gritty like analyzation of it every week it's so far it feels the less tolkien-y it like the least like what tolkien wrote um as far as how the characters act with each other and the way that changes were made like it's gonna get real weird once we get to helm's deep and all these like extra battle things that happen that actually don't happen in the book um we're not there yet so I'm going to hold off, but it's, it's going to be at a point where some things we're just going to be like, like there won't be like a chapter equivalent to it anymore. You know what I mean? Like we're doing right now. So maybe that's a perfect segue into getting into the chapters. So just like we were talking about matching the book chapters up to events in the movie is it's getting messy as of now. So if you're following along this week, we're talking about Extended edition of Two Towers from about 36 minutes and 20 seconds in to 58 minutes and 10 seconds in. So 20-ish minutes. Um, And this is essentially everything in the movies from Aragorn kicking the helmet near the pile of dead Urukai until um, Frodo, Sam, and Gollum uh, see the ring wraith, like the flying ring wraith, and um, Gandalf, Aragorn, Legos, and Gimli riding off to Edoras. So this, like I mentioned earlier, this roughly corresponds to the chapters Treebeard, the White Rider, and Passage of the Marshes. But when it comes to the Treebeard chapter, we really only touch on the beginning of the chapter because here is where we start to see uh, Peter taking the information in this chapter. Like we read, we read about everything from Merry and Pippin entering Fangorn Force until the Ents go start marching to Isengard. But obviously he takes most of that and sprinkles it uh, throughout so that we're able to flip back and forth between all of the storylines at the same time. Uh, But Tolkien structures it pretty differently. And we're not going to see in the book, we're not going to see Merry and Pippet again for a little bit. Um, And so there's like a different way that suspense is used in the book. Um, And I think a different way to explain time like it it's more about like how to kind of give you a sense of like what like I don't know what's going on with Sam and Frodo for a long long while and then you see it towards the end of the book but currently in order to keep up with the movies we're like flipping back and forth through different parts of the book so uh, if we want to talk about Treebeard's section of chapter um that's you know we've got Merry and Pippin entering Fangorn um and they you know what am i saying they uh are they're being it's chased by an orc in the movie and mary and pippin decide to climb a tree in order to escape 
the orc grabs Mary because he's on a lower branch, and then tree. Then they realize that's that tree is alive, and it is a, it's tree beer. Um, in the book, they they're not being pursued. It is all chill, really. Um, they they've escaped. They've had their snack, like we talked about last time. Um, and they, and they're entering Fangorn, and they're trying to figure out where what to do. Like where how where are they going to go next? So they find this. Um, it's kind of like a hill. There's like hill. these. <laughs> Steps. You can see remarks on it. Mm-hmm. And uh, they they go and they look out and they're seeing uh, Fangorn and the sun is shining. And when they go up that hill, they climb up and they pass an old stump of a tree with only two bent branches left. And it notes that it looked almost like the figure of some gnarled old man standing there blinking in the morning light. Spoiler alert, this is actually the first glimpse of Treebeard, but they don't realize that until Treebeard talks to them. And uh, I, while I do personally love the design of Treebeard and the Ents in the movies, I think they look very cool. As, and, it, and also if you're trying to like hide them in with the rest of the trees, you know, they do a really good job of making it look very tree-like. Um, but I was always curious about this, you know, description and how they might have brought that old stump to life of something that looked kind of like an old man, but not enough so that they would like pay attention to it. You know, they assumed it was a tree. Um, and they do talk about like the skin texture, like sometimes it's smooth, sometimes it's like bark and they, they you know, Tolkien does mention toes and that kind of thing. Um, so it, it's a, you know, it's different and you know, I haven't like looked into other artists doing this, but it would have been interesting to see that come to life, I think, in the movies. Yeah, I've seen several renditions of Treebeard artist artist wise. Mm-hmm. And some are outlandish and they look really, you know, that you see you can see they're trying to follow what Tolkien wrote. Right. But it looks very caricaturish mm-hmm. when they actually put it to paper. Yeah. Um, so I, I feel like the Peter Jackson choice here was a good choice. That's my personal opinion. I think that having them look like more like just straight up trees. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the better choice because, yeah. you know, we don't want to distinguish them too much from trees. Yeah. Too much because, you know, then it'll become a whole nother thing, even though they, they kind of are, but they aren't. Right. Um, exactly. So I thought that was a good choice as far as their look. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, they had the drama, Mary and Chipping, Chipping getting chased. That's for drama. That's so means, Peter, though. Like, you know, and yeah, he's, anytime he's a, he can, he will. Anytime he can. This is weird because the really dramatic parts in the book he took out. Yeah. Which I don't understand. Like, uh, you know, the fight on the fight with the wolves he took mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. You know, I yep. don't understand why he did that. Uh, the fight with uh, Gandalf and the Nine on. Why would you right. take that out? That's yeah, super it, you know, at first it was like he was taking things out, you know, like a lot in fellowship. But now, like, especially when we get I mean, like the warg scene is coming to mind. It's we're not there yet. But, you know, as far as like adding things in and know. and so it's interesting because he I know in like the appendices, for example, they talk about 
Shelob's lair. Like that gets moved to Return of the King because he felt like that was too many climaxes. That would have been too many things all at once. But I'm like, okay. But the way that you structured the other ones, they were all kind of happening at the same time. So instead of making Frodo and Sam's problem be Faramir, why couldn't it have been Shelob? Because, you know, um, and and truly, like, the events of it, if you think about it in the timeline aspect, it maybe does happen a bit later, you know, but if we're matching the structure of the book, um, if that had gotten moved, then maybe there would have been room for, like, the scouring of the Shire, you know, um, there there's a lot of moments like that where I'm like, the scouring of the shire i just don't see the how it translates well into movie yeah i don't know i think it it depends right like there's a lot of things that uh were kind of changed and i do think that the way they cut return of the king gave it a lot of like ending and then ending but if there had been more of like, for example, we've seen, we've talked about this several times as far as the way that the hobbits are personified. And they are, ta- a lot of their agency is taken away from them in the movies. They're not given a lot of the brave lines or the bold lines. Like last time we talked about Pippin doesn't do his impression of Gollum to try to confuse that orc, right? And mm-hmm. that is ultimately what gets them out of the circle of death at, with the Rohirrim and the Urukai. Um, yeah. But so, they're not able to really show their stuff really until return of the King. But I think it could have been, you know, a nice moment for them to kind of bring that full circle as far as the hobbits being able to take care of themselves, you know? Um, But obviously like, I'm not, I'm not that hung up on the scouring of the shire, but I do think that there are character things that we lose when peter does this thing where he like speeds up some of the dialogue parts to get to these longer action sequences i i thought for one and it's my my opinion the biggest miss one of the biggest miss is in the two towers is gollum Mm -hmm. in ed marsh's gollum's gollum's fear plays a big part on in your fear Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. he's seen things and been places none of the other characters have gone to sam and frodo have only been in the shire this is their first adventure he's been to mordor he's been to Batador. he literally has been alive for 500 years he's had the ring he's dealt with all these things he's been captured by this one that one and he knows passages he even knows some history that they don't know literally even when they're going through a thillion he's telling them about you know the Morgul Vale in certain parts, uh, you know, even the Easterlings coming in, he's like, oh, wicked men, da da da. Uh, Sauron, he literally is the reason you know Sauron is actually a physical figure and mm-hmm. not just a guy. He's seen Sauron and has talked to him. So in the Dead Marshes, he is deathly afraid and he hates the sunlight and he hates the moonlight. And it's so telling when he when he shakes his fist at the sunlight, that's one of my favorite descriptions in the book. He's terrified. Yeah. And that, tell, that tells so much without telling so much in the story going through the, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's, to- that's an interesting point because in the movies, they make it seem like, okay, so Gollum makes his 
um, promise to Frodo that, you know, he's going to take them to Mordor and he will serve the master of the precious. Right. And, but it isn't until they, and, you know, they, they give him that whole like back and forth debate scene, like, you know, you know, I hate you and, you know, telling the Gollum part of himself to go away, essentially. And mm-hmm. then he acts pretty good. And then it isn't until like the whole Faramir thing and all of that, that he starts to change back into his Gollumishness. But in the book, you know, it's so Gollum makes that promise and, you know, Sam kind of notes that he instantly is acting like he's constantly seeking Frodo's approval, you know, like acting like a puppy around him sometimes. Um, But then the moment after he, you know, is starts to be afraid, I'm like after um after the Nazgul is, he sees the Nazgul flying and he's like, ah, wraiths on wings. Um, Sam notes another change in Gollum that he was more fawning and would be friendly, but uh, he started giving strange looks in his eye. He had strange looks in his eyes sometimes, especially towards Frodo. And we went back more and more into his old manner of speaking. So it's at much earlier on that we start to see Gollum like breaking a little bit and that's because of that fear that he has about the things in Mordor and the Nazgul um, and, and being afraid of being caught and going back there yeah it just it drives us it drives a story and it shows they're not just going somewhere you know haphazard you know just like oh we can just la da we can just walk here mm-hmm. no they cannot be seen at all and he knows this right and you know, it's just so it, it it compels me. So I, it compels me when I when I when you listen to it. Certain little things like that, um, I implore reader the reader to listen to what they say and what they don't say, what they do and what they don't do. Like he would fall down and cover his face, and Tolkien describes this, and that you should get something from that as the reader. Like Jesus, he is freaking really terrified. What did he go through? This yeah, just. And he makes sure to juxtapose that against Frodo thinking like, oh, we should be glad of the sun. You know, he's, it makes him feel better. Like, like we all do when it's a nice spring day outside, we go get some sun on our face, feel better. Right. But then Gollum is like, no, this is how you get caught. Very much like Boromir. Gollum knows things that other people don't know. Boromir didn't know things. And he's like suggesting things. And Gandalf is like, what? No. Him and Aragorn are like, no. Because they know, but Borman didn't have that information. So Frodo and Sam are like, oh, you know, let's do this. Let's eat. Let's eat here. He's like, no, we can't. What are you what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Borman's like, why don't we just go this way? They're like, no, we can't go that way. What what's wrong with you? And they're kind of hard on Borman, but Borman doesn't know. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So right. this is one of the things that makes Borman one of my favorite characters because he's not wrong for his suggestions at all. It's right. just how they how they convey you know, the answers to him of why they kind of, they kind of are Gandalf and, and Aragorn are kind of arrogant and they don't do it the right way. They don't explain yeah. it to him. The right way, to be I think we talked about that a little bit with Iris as far as like, Boromir needed like a bro talk, like a one-on-one, <laughs> like, no, like this is how it, you know, how it all works. Like I un- like understand why you are thinking what you're thinking, but he, Here's why it won't work because it was very much just kind of like he accepted the word of Elrond, but not really. Like he didn't have a moment. Gandalf, and it's like 
that's he was getting sassy Gandalf. He mm-hmm. shouldn't have got sassy Gandalf. He should have gotten understanding, compassionate. Listen, I know, I know why you're scared. Mm-hmm. We know what your people are doing, but this is why this won't work, and this is why we definitely can't use this. They they re, go back and read. They mm-hmm. kind of tell at him like, no, Boromir, blah 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 blah. This yeah. and it's kind of it's kind of like, yo, dude, he's not wrong for his thought process even for thinking what are you doing with these hobbits why are you thinking this is a good idea that's not a wrong thought process right you know what i mean you guys are on a different level of understanding and and faith in a different in a different sense you know what i mean and even power to even think that this plan would work it's like yeah it's funny it's funny to think about that when we're also talking about Frodo and Sam because Frodo does the opposite with Sam like whenever Sam has a fear and he expresses it Frodo tries to explain himself completely you know like even with the even when he isn't like totally on board with what Sam is saying like um when he's trying to explain that no his rope wouldn't have come undone you know like in the movie they make it a joke like huh, Elvish rope, you know, like, that's not really totally fair to Sam, but Sam is very much like, no, like, he explains it, and then Frodo is more like, oh, well, you know, I guess, but I'm just telling you what, you know, he takes time to, like, go over that stuff, and, and especially, like, when he has that, when Sam is really upset about Gollum joining them, and being not on a leash, essentially, you know, Frodo takes time to be like, hey, like, even if he does mean to kill us, like he hasn't tried really, he hasn't hurt us yet. And if he does, then we'll take care of it. But he also, (laughs) what Gollum means to do doesn't matter. It's, you know, what, what we are trying to do here, which is, it's definitely gets lost in the movies. Like they take those lines away from Frodo. It's one of the things that people ask me why the fellowship is my favorite is because they take their time in the fellowship. Mm-hmm. Two Towers seems in the movie a bit rushed at times. Yeah. They're trying to get, make things happen, make things happen. The fellowship is very methodical. And even though things are big, things are cut, they take their time with even putting little uh, things in there to where it's like, oh, okay, all right. And they, it's just more thought out and fleshed out. Whereas the Two Towers and even the Return of the King at times feels very rushed. Mm-hmm. And it was like, you know, I don't know if they were aware of the timing of what they had to get done film-wise, but it seems more rushed. You know what I'm saying? So Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that's true because then they try to, like, fit things in more. So, um, for example, when we talk about the parts with Aragorn and Legolas and Gimli, they are... Um, that moves way quicker, right? And so you miss, like, this exchange between uh Legolas and Gimli about Fangorn you know and in the movies pieces of it happen when Gimli's talking about like the air being close inside Fangorn and Legolas talks about the forest being old um and but in the movie or in the books uh Legolas is saying like it is old and full of memory I could have been happy here if I had come in days of peace and Gimli mm-hmm. responds I dare say you could you are a wood elf mm-hmm. anyway though elves of any kind are strange folk yet you comfort me where you go I will go but in the movie like Gimli is always just like like he says something like he calls it tree infested and like acting like he's upset about leaving Mary and Pippin there and then he also is like you know he's just very anti-Fangorn the whole time but mm-hmm. Legolas's words 
help him feel better about it. And I think that says a lot about like their friendship and where they are together. And I also think it's, it's a good moment for Gimli that he's not just this brash, like goofy character, you know, Mm -hmm. he, they do have an understanding and they respect each other and they're not just like, I don't know, just like Gimli in the movies. Like I love John Reese Davies. I think that he was amazing, but I don't think he had the full context of everything, yeah. you know. They 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 really kind of made him a, a joke character, mm-hmm. you know. Um, which he was when when Gandalf falls in Moria, and he sees the stone outside, but next to the mirror mirror, mm-hmm. it's very important and solemn moment, and he's just paying his respects, even when he was in the tomb, Balin's tomb in the chamber of Marzabal, he just knelt and covered his face and you know it was very solemn and he got up and and said a you know his song about you know Casa Doom and it was very just it was it wasn't nothing funny about it it was he revered his ancient home that he had never been to he knew the mountains the names he had the story this, this is why in the books Gandalf had him as and one of the guides with him mm-hmm. in the movie, in the book. I mean, uh, you know what I'm saying? And yeah. they completely take that away in the movie. So these changes and things like that are, are very interesting. Uh, they can hurt a character as far as, you know, what people need to see from the character. Um, you know, I'd say what was close in the movie, the closest thing to the actual Gimli is when he's actually talking to Galadriel. Mm-hmm. And he's he's like, they, Gandalf fell and he, he sighs and he puts his eyes to the, they put that in a movie. He very much felt, it felt very heavy on him because he wanted to go to, through Moria. And yeah. he, it just, he's like, oh, such a bad decision. But was it on him? What, anything could he have done differently? He knows in the book, Celeborn is very upset with him. The Ladriel comforts him with his own language and words. Yes. And And that is something I actually want to go back to because, okay, so in kind of contrast to what we've been saying, like, I feel like when Gandalf joins them, it is reduced, but I think it still captures a lot of the same flavor as in the book. But um, with a lot of his lines are kept the same, even though there's fewer of them. But one thing that I thought was really interesting, especially like we had this big, long conversation about how um, Galadriel being like, no, no, Celeborn, like, don't talk to Gimli like that. And like then saying, you know, really nice things to him about and using like the Dwarvish language a little bit and like naming the places and Casa Doom and stuff. Um, and that spoke a lot to Gimli. Well, in this chapter in the White Rider, we find out that um, Gua- Galadriel had sent Gwai here, our giant eagle friend, if anyone recalls from or think, you know, we've seen him before helping Gandalf out. He comes, he's how Gandalf escapes from the mountaintop after defeating the Balrog. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's because Galadriel sent him to look for Gandalf. And I completely forgot that, like, probably. She gives him the new, the new staff. Mm-hmm. She clothes him in white and gives him the new staff. Yeah, um, and it's like, that's ne- definitely not a dress. And I understand why, but. I think that it's such it's, a nice touch, right? It's so interesting. And also it based on their, um, you know, Gandalf says 
thus it was that I came to Kadas Galathon and found you but lately gone. So once Galadriel hears that, um, you know, from the fellowship that Gandalf had died, she obviously doesn't believe that because she sends Gwai here around the same time to go get him. And so I think it puts a different and interesting um, lens on her correcting Celeborn and being like, no, you cannot blame him for Gandalf's death, you know, because she doesn't believe that Gandalf is dead. She's like thinking other thoughts that she doesn't obviously reveal to anybody, except for maybe Gwai here, maybe Celeborn. Yeah. Um, they, they don't do, I mean, they do a good job, but they could do a better job of that weight of Gandalf's death when the elves hear it is mm -hmm. crazy in the books. They are like, ah, what? <laughs> and they're, Celeborn is angry. Yeah. Like this, because it shows the importance of Gandalf. Mm -hmm. Little things that, that Tolkien is a master. He's, it shows the importance of Gandalf when you may not even realize little things Aragorn says throughout the journey. You know what I'm saying? And that, that Celeborn's anger Galadriel's response, the elves' response in um, Lothlorien when they hear of his fall, you know, the lament for them, you know, which they do do in the, but it is a, a sad moment. They are in disbelief. They are in shock. They are extremely hurt and saddened. And Aragorn tells, you know, there's stories even in Rivendell of greatest things that he's done like that you don't even know about. Like it, it shows his power and, and and importance. So they could convey it better to me in the, the movie. They could have done a better job conveying yeah. certain things. Um, like like I said, the same thing with uh, Gollum and his, his fear. Um, yeah, I almost think that they made, they take a lot of lines away from Legolas. Like I didn't get to bring this up last time, but there's a lot of times where he expresses concern about Merry and Pippin to Aragorn. Like he's like, I want to keep going like them at the hands of the orcs. Like it tears me up, you know, yeah. paraphrasing obviously, but you yeah, know, right. they, they, they take, they make him so stoic. And even when like certain things happen, he just makes a face like, you know, his eyes get real big or whatever, but he doesn't actually get to articulate what he's feeling. But Legolas does talk more in, in the books. And I think that's, I'm like, it's a little sad that they didn't take those lines, you know, like put them somewhere so that Legolas can like have some emotional reaction to things. You know, they it's almost like they give Gimli too much in the movies and take it all away from Legolas. Um, it's interesting. It's gonna get it's gonna get really weird when we're at the part with, you know, Helm's Deep because that's like a quick chapter, and I think it's gonna take up. It's gonna be multiple like movie chapters, if if you will. Um, whereas like the passage of the marshes pretty much lines up exactly with the movie chapter. I mean, some things are moved around, obviously, like we've talked about, um, like with the you know. Gollum thinking about Shelob already that ha doesn't happen later into the movies but um as far as it ending with you know ring rates flying around that's pretty much accurate when Legolas and Aragorn and Gimli ride off with Gandalf to Edoras that's pretty much the end of that act of the chapter of the White Rider um so you know it's it's going to be interesting um but I think that pretty much covered all the things that I had outlined um, in these chapters. Is there any other, anything else 
Nubeta that I am missing that you really think is important to note? Um, Change-wise, things you thought went well, anything um, like that? No, they literally fall right outside on both ends, the things I would say. So we the, thing, the part we're covering, we missed. So I thought it was really important. Aragorn's presence when he's talking to Aemir in the circle, mm-hmm. extremely important. Also, Aragorn's presence when they get to Edoras and they get to Minnesota and he literally, they try to take his sword. He already has Andrew and he is not having it. And he shows his kingliness and his his want to go to Minas Tirith or, you know, go help his people and uh, his is, yeah, well, that is something oh, that we didn't really get different. to talk about um, last time when Aragorn meets Aemir and he, like, at first he introduces himself as Strider, yeah. right? Yeah, he, and he's so being he, very custom, custom-like. He's like, until, oh, okay. And, and, you know, he's, like, trying to see where Aemir's, like, loyalties lie, you know? Mm. But in the movie, he's just like, hi, I'm Aragorn. And this is like, listen, this is Gimli, you know? But yeah, it, he, it shows no importance whatsoever when literally in the book he's explaining himself he allowed, he knows that airmare is the third marshal of the mark so he's just paying that respect but once it starts dragging he's like all right listen i'm i'm aragorn this is what we're doing what are we doing like uh it, what are we doing you want to fight or what are we doing because i'm yeah. going here and this is what it is whose allegiance is you under because we're no friends of mordor and and he steps up and he's he shows his like listen this is what it is and this is what it's going to be, or or we just going to have to fight. Now choose. And they and Amir is taken aback, like, oh wow, I didn't even, you know. And the same thing at the door, he's like, I'm not giving my this sword was made by Telco, and it, absolutely no. And he's he's not, you know what I mean? It's it yeah. shows, uh, 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 man, it's just a pride. Uh, it shows that like, Aragorn is not Strider at times. Sometimes mm-hmm. he shows that he's Aragorn, son of Arathorn. And that needs to be put in. They have him so reluctant at times in the movie throughout the whole thing. It's like, ah, he wasn't yeah. that way all the time. When he needed to put his foot down, when he needed to show his kingliness, it it, it says that even the people watching him were like, wow, he looked like a king of old. And yeah, I know and Legolas, like, yeah. see, like, it's a, it only appears to Legolas, but it see, appears to him as if he has, like, a crown on when crown, he's doing yeah. that. Very important things that they they kind of miss out on even just the subtle just him raising his voice or being like you know he only does it when they're like what say you but that's yeah. already at the return of the king and he doesn't even do that in the book so it's like yeah it, it's so interesting like the way the, the character choices that peter and team decided to make right because whereas the hobbits i think have shown a lot of you know grit and bravery uh, before at this point and before um they don't really get to do that until return of the king right but then with and then with aragorn they do this really really slow build right of him um, deciding to take the, the the throne but it was more a matter of like diplomacy and like timing for him than anything you yeah. know he he wanted them to want him i guess if you want to put it like that yeah. Um, and do it the right way, but he he definitely wanted it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And, and he wanted to claim his destiny and do the right thing. And so, so it's interesting. But then they take away, I feel like, some of the progress that like Gimli and Legolas make in, with through their friendship in the movie. Oh, yeah. You know, like it's like there, but they don't really dwell on it very much. But I think that the way Tolkien has divided up 
Two Towers and part of Return of the King, like he is trying to spend a decent amount of time with everybody, you know, not just where like at this point in the movie, we're kind of flipping through everybody's story relatively quickly. Yeah, yeah. I um, hate that they didn't put Urkin Brand in there. That is a whole nother thing that I upset about. Are you going to come on our Helm's Deep episode and talk about Urkin Please, Brand? Because I have a whole feeling about why that they didn't put Urgent Brand, that they couldn't put him in. It didn't make sense. And I I feel like I could dispel that. I feel mm-hmm. like it would have made more sense to put Urgent Brand in there. We would have been able to focus on Amir's uh, importance and him and Aragorn. Aragorn would bring out the importance of Amir by him saying, hey, this is the hour we draw swords together. He says that the Amir, not mm. the Thaden. And it, you know what I mean? And yeah. Thaden can maintain and be himself and everything and everything would have been and then it made more sense for Gandalf to go get Urkenbrand because they're talking about the Westfold they're showing you the burning of the Westfold they have the children leave the Westfold who is the leader of the Westfold Urkenbrand so mm-hmm. why wouldn't we go get him you don't have to necessarily see him or whatever it, it explains Helm Hammerhand he says Urkenbrand is like Helm Hammerhand come again so why have all that stuff about him when you don't know who he is, but you know he's great, clearly. Right. You know what I'm saying? And then, oh, it's Urkenbrand, da-da, from the West Pole. The, the West Pole was destroyed. It was burned, da-da. Yeah, he, he has all the people. They didn't get killed. Ah, he came back. Amir's here. Aragorn's here. The king's here. Now, we uh, fully, everything's realized. Why not do that? Instead of having yeah. freaking wargs, this big warg fight that... I know. You know don't like, even Aragorn talk to me about the wargs yet. Into the river and... <laughs> What was that all about? It's so painful. It's (laughs) so Anna. Is there anything um about this part of the movie that you really liked or thought they did well, or maybe you had additional questions on that we could go over? Not this particular part. I think the most interesting parts become a little bit before, a little bit after. Mm-hmm. Um, Was there anything we didn't get to touch on be- from I can before? check my notes real quick. When I rewatch the movie, um, I like Carl Orban um, in this. I forget that he's in it every single time. And I'm like, oh, look at baby. That's so funny because when Carl I Orban. see Carl Orban, I'm like, hey, I'm there. Like whenever oh, he's yeah. in I'm anything. Like phones from Star Trek. But... <laughs> uh, um... Oh, so this is another thing that's more about the Dead Marshes. So I don't mm-hmm. know if it's appropriate to talk about now. Yeah, but it is. They reference a battle that occurred there, and that's why the Marsh is a marsh. Oh yeah. What 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 what, what, what is that? New better I'm gonna let you take that. <laughs> it's the Battle of Dagoland. So literally, uh, the Battle of the Last Alliance. So when when the when the Last Alliance finally came together, they left uh, Rivendell and they went. They there's a giant plane before the gates of Mordor um, called Dagoland, and that is literally where they had a giant fight first. The problem was that you know King Thrundwil, Legolas's father. At this time in the Second Age, when Sauron was in power. Thrundwil wasn't the king. His father, Orfer, was a king. And Orfer is the king of the elves of Mirkwood, Sylvan elves. And he hated the Noldor elves. So 
he agreed to fight with the Noldor elves, who Gilgalad is the king of the Noldor elves, uh, and 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 then we had the elves from Lothlorien. He agreed, so his contingent was with the elves of Lothlorien and their king, and he agreed to fight with them, but he didn't like the Noldor elves, like many elves of the Sindar and Silver Sylvan races didn't like them because they felt they were usurpers and they came and they took everything and they caused a lot of problems. So he was of that like mind. So they he literally was supposed to wait before going in to this battle. And he didn't because he was like, I'm not listening to them. I'm going to do what I want to do. And he goes in and it was a train wreck and they get slaughtered. And this is why Thrundwil is actually the king. Orifer gets killed and all his peoples and the, the king of Lothlorien, if I'm not mistaken, I could have that. Let me just double check in my mind. But those elves get killed and it was a disastrous battle. Many orcs, men, and elves were killed. And this is the first beginnings of the dead marshes. It was a, a giant plain at first, but the marshes were creeping up. And then there are two other battles where near the same place where men, elves, orcs slain, dead in the graves there, but the graves were creeped up upon by the marshes where it just kept getting bit larger and larger. And now it's a big marsh there. It's no longer a plain. It's full of just, it just inhabited the graves of these dead beings and it just became cursed. And of course you have Sauron doing what he does and his sorcery and the, the witch king and all of them. So I'm assuming this is just my interpretation. He, he probably was like, you know what? This used to be a plane. It's, it's hard. It's a bulwark to get through this. Let me kind of send out whatever vibes and inhabit this, these marshlands and, and bring these spirits to life. Very similar to the, the, the Burrow Downs, how the Witch King sent fell spirits to inhabit the bones in, of the dead men of uh, the, the Dunedain. So I'm thinking Sauron or the Witch King, maybe one of the nine, has something to do with that. This is my thought process, though. Don't quote me, but it feels they're right, haunted though. And, 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 it, and it's like, just like he left Shelob to guard um, Kirith on Gaul in that pass. He's like, I don't even need, I have the tower there, but this cave, I don't need anybody. I have a good guard there. He doesn't he doesn't think people will go through the marshes and he's like they're haunted anyway. So true. I don't really, and really it mentions that right. like Frodo and Sam and Gollum are so tiny and light that they are the, <coughs> able to find paths through the marshes like on yeah. their the ground that is semi stable. But I don't yeah. think like if an we, army can't go that way. Mm-mm. So no. So yeah, uh, that's that's where the dead marshes come from. Nasty. <laughs> Nice, yeah, nice details. I like that. But that also reminds me of something else that happens in this chapter that I wrote down, but then I forgot to bring it up earlier. With Frodo and Sam and Gollum, I feel like a key difference between this part in the movie and the book is that, like, Peter's version is trying to draw more and more comparisons between Frodo and Gollum and starting to pull Frodo and Sam apart. Oh, yeah, I guess that very early. Yeah, and it, it hurts my heart a lot, but um, it it's, but you know, there's like the thing where Frodo falls into the dead marshes, and like there's the creepy guys like all green and like, sh- and then Gollum is the one that grabs him out and it's saves not, him. That's not and what that, happened. No, not at all. And Frodo has like slime on his hands at one point when he falls back. He probably tripped or something. We don't mm-hmm. see it happen, but we're at the point of view of Sam, and Sam is the one that goes back for him yeah, and makes sure that he's with you know, the group because Frodo is having more and more trouble 
bearing the burden of the ring and is slower. And Gollum is trying to like keep him going, you know, keep him going faster. Um, and then you see this whole scene in the movie where Frodo reminds Gollum that his name is Smeagol or whatever. Yeah. And Smeagol always refers to himself as Smeagol. If he's talking about himself to somebody, he always uses his name. No one needed to remind him what his name was. Yeah. That, you know, and like at that, and also Other people call him Gollum. He exactly. knows himself as Smeagol. Yeah, he doesn't this call himself. This is one of the reasons his psyche split is because they called him Gollum because of the noise he made in his throat. So mm -hmm. he wouldn't call himself that. Same thing, Sauron does not allow the orcs or anybody to write the name Sauron or use the name Sauron because that's not his name. That was given to him as a mockery by the elves. So it's not like Sauron's calling himself Sauron. He doesn't mm. like the name. It's a mockery. The mm. same thing with Morgoth. Morgoth is not that man's name. His name is Melkor. Right. It means he who arises in might. It's a very admirable name. He's the strongest. But that Feanor named him Morgoth, the black enemy. Sauron's name is Myron, the admirable. It's a literally Sauron means the abhorred. Mm -hmm. So you don't want somebody calling you that. No. Gollum is like a mockery. It's like look what his name Gollum. Gollum. That, that yeah, that. like the sound Smeagol that he is makes. His regular name. He knows himself as Smeagol. So it's there's a mirror there for all those characters, mm. and it, it's actually brought up like, that Sauron doesn't allow, when they're thinking that the S on Saruman's orc yes. is for Sauron, Gimli's like, yo, that's clearly for Saruman. No, he doesn't allow his name to be spoken or said that way. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. only the reason they call the mouth of Sauron, a lot of people are like, well, why do they call the mouth of Sauron the mouth of Sauron? Because that's everyone his job. knows Sauron <laughs> as Sauron. So that is okay because it's his title and literally he's known by everyone. He's going to say the mouth of Sauron. Not everybody knows Sauron's real name. So that mm -hmm. title is going to be allowed there in that sense. And you know what I mean? Yeah. So. Yeah, that's that's super interesting. The parallels between like, you know, what we call ourselves and the names that are bestowed upon us, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So so we're starting to see at this point, like Frodo and Sam in the movies are kind of have this wedge that is Gollum or Smeagol uh, in between them. But that's not really how it is in the book. Like Frodo no. and Sam are still very much close and like they are each other's thing, you know. But the difference is that Frodo in the books is giving Gollum a level of trust, right? He's like, I don't, you're not going to hurt us. I don't believe that. I don't believe they're going to run away or betray us at this point. At least the ring will hold you to that so yeah, far. He holds it very much to, accountable by the ring. Mm -hmm. So but he's it, like, not worried because the ring is going to, he's not going to betray the ring. But it allows Frodo to show Gollum some kindness, right? Because he trusts in that promise. Whereas Sam is always suspicious of Gollum, but he's always, but him and you know they're they're still close and they will remain close there's never like a point where frodo discards sam for gollum yeah, that's so. bull. God, that pissed me off in the moment i know like, i know when i when um Edith was talking about coming on again because i know that they want to talk about frodo and sam more um they were like i can't do the she love part because she they don't want to talk about that moment in the movie and i was like i don't blame you that's gonna be not fun <laughs> um because there, there are like 
I think some of the more painful changes are happening with Frodo and Sam at this point. Whereas like, you know, losing some of Gimli and Legolas's relationship, I do think it's sad and, uh, you know, but it does bother me, but I think that there are points where like, like yeah, like you can move on from it, but the relationship between Frodo and Sam, I think is so pivotal to everything that it, it it's going to get harder as we go on. But, you know, there's keeping Gandalf more or less intact. So that's something, I guess. Gandalf is the truest character in the entire. He stays very similar to Gandalf in the books. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, they the try. Character, period. In the entire uh, movie, Gandalf is Gandalf. Yeah. Very much so Gandalf. And um, it's, it's interesting to make that choice, right? As a director or a screenwriter being like, okay, we're going to keep Gandalf the way that fans know him or at least you know the way that he has been presented to us more or less but we're gonna make all these other little tweaks so it's like i would be interested to hear like the thought process on some of that like i know that in the appendices they explain like the faramir thing because they're trying to show how hard it is to resist the ring and i'm like whatever but Uh, (laughs) i know i know but then but then with like legolas and gimli i'm like some of these lines would take five seconds for them to say. Exactly. So it was an artistic choice and it is what it is, but um, it's fun to analyze and, and go over. I think it's important because a lot of people don't know these things. They've only seen the movie. So I'm yeah. not sure if we can pause right here because I got to get back to my son. But <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I'm just going to do a quick wrap up of sure. what we talked about. So um, this, you know, so far we've seen them pass through the dead marshes um, with Frodo and Sam and Gollum. We're going to get to the Black Gate next time. Um, and then we're going to see uh, Aragorn, Legolas and Gimli with Gandalf reach Edoras. And we're going to meet Theoden. We're going to talk some more about the Rohirrim. Um, and I'm sure that we'll talk, we'll dig into more parts of the Treebeard chapter that didn't get to see in this part of the movie, but were happened already in the part of the book. So that'll be fun. Be sure to join us next time and be sure to follow New Better Do Better. Be sure to follow his podcast, Voices of Arda. And of course, our good friend Callie Cosplay as well. That will all be linked. Um, and you can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram. So we will see you around and then uh, we will see you next week. All right. Yeah.